0: Welcome ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and prefer not to disclose, back to the Undressing Underground Podcast. Uh, I guess I'll record this. Today's episode will be a bit shorter. Sarah Century is busy uh, playing with an organ she just got and apparently avoiding people that are staying at her house in New Mexico. If you go to sarahcentury.wordpress.com, though, you can sign up for her newsletter and find out how you can stay at her place there. And come back next week either way and hear more from her talking to more artists and Katie Ryan if her friends are listening you can hold her to this she'll be doing an interview next week as well with a friend of hers that is a playwright I don't think we've had any playwrights yet this week is Liam O'Donnell I think his name is from CinePunks eric roberts is the fucking man podcast uh with former guest Doug tilly i was also on that podcast and i was terrible i don't know if that's still on their feed or not it was uh the second half of celebrity rehab i wasn't a part of the episode for the first half i think they just sort of brought me on because they couldn't find anybody else to do the second half and uh, what else does he do? He does a podcast about horror, the horror business. I think it's called The Horror Business. Anyway, if you go to CinePunks.com, all of that's there and some of his writing. Um, yeah, we talk about his CinePunks podcast mostly on the website. Uh, it's Liam is Puerto Rican and his uh, partner on CinePunks, I believe, is Filipino. And... You know, we talk about how they approach things, how they plan to approach things, what their plans are for the next four years, uh, his feelings about the punk scene, what's going to the punk scene. And a new topic, I think, for us in this run of episodes, uh, how his faith plays into things, because he's married to a pastor, a Methodist pastor, I believe. And, yeah. Is there anything else I'm forgetting, Katie? Can you think of anything, Katie? 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 Okay. Katie can't think of anything. Uh, so, yeah. It's also my birthday. Not that that matters. That's awesome. So here's Liam O'Donnell.
1: Um, how do you normally record? Oh, with Doug, uh, with Skype, <laughs> or um, uh, ZenCaster. What is ZenCaster? Oh man, look up ZenCaster. That's what you want to be using if you can pay for it.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't have. I'm unemployed and uh, don't have any money already. So, huh. uh, yeah,
1: Zancaster is like a, <clears throat> It's a website that sort of sets up something like Skype but it records each thing on each individual person's computer. So like when oh, you're shit. done recording, each computer loads up an original recorded file and then you just sync them up. So it's kind of like how you can have someone record on their computer and it sounds all right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Wow. That's it's awesome. really good. If you're doing only two people, it's free. If you want to do it with multiple people, you got to pay for it. Holy shit. Uh, Yeah. Up to two guest records, eight hours per month.
2: Whoa and uh high quality mp3 Ugh. uh yeah and then $20 a month or yearly is comes out to 18 that's not bad i guess for yeah because nobody knows how to actually record themselves i found
1: it's hard it's really <laughs> hard to get the people to do it
2: yeah but yeah anyway so you so what do you do you podcast you write do you actually write on cinepunks as well or do you just do the podcast <laughs> um
1: i uh, so the whole part of the whole point of developing the blog portion of cinepunks was uh for me to write more like the the altruistic thing is oh i'm gonna put this blog portion up on cinepunks and that way i can um have a a platform for other people's writing. Mm-hmm. But honestly, there was also a selfish thing of like, you know, if I'm writing for my own site, maybe it'll be easier to get it done and do whatever. But like I've only written a few things, like my output. I mean, I think um my output in the last like 2 to 3 years has not been as good as it was. I had like <laughs> a brief like 3 or 4 years where I was writing a lot and I was pretty obsessive about it, and then it started to taper off a little bit here, a little bit there. And now it's like pfft, only occasionally and I, it it actually is funny that I think the podcasting kind of like makes it harder to write because it's so much easier for me to just record something that like sitting there and writing like it makes me grip my teeth, right. even though I like I like the final product of writing actually more than a podcast. Like I really like if I put the time in and it's edited and I really got my thoughts together. I actually really like the stuff I've written. I hate the process of writing yeah I definitely get
2: that. um yeah, and just editing a pod no editing a podcast too is just so easy like rec- like you said, just recording is really easy because you're just talking and then editing it, you're just whittling down what you have. you're not even really doing that much and <laughs> mm-hmm. just cleaning it up a little bit. um yeah, I definitely um uh, but so I thought I read somewhere on the website or something at one point it being referred to as a podcast of two people of color (laughs) talking about movies. Is that still the, is that the
1: case? Like, do you guys sort of approach things from that perspective? Uh, Yeah. I mean, it is something that is important to us, but it's not something that we focus on too much. You know, Josh is Filipino. I'm Puerto Rican. And honestly, I think it, when it first came up it was because it's part of how we talk about movies like a and a life i mean and we've also told stories on the show that are sort of about that experience but i think i actually thought of it less as like a selling point than mm-hmm. i probably should have and <laughs> thought of it more of an explanation of man these guys sure sure complain about white people why are they complaining <laughs> so much it's like because y'all are annoying like you know what i mean like it's sort of part it, it's 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 it it could be more and i hate to put it this way because i don't think it is that but it could be a little more self-serving or at least it could be an aspect you know sometimes people make a show and that's part of the dna of the show and yeah. for us it's it was never intentional that way it wasn't we felt like outsiders in two communities and you know, we were this all came out of, you know, we, we're involved in punk and hardcore and you don't necessarily feel like total outsiders in that community. But it was becoming clear that our experience of punk and hardcore tended to be that people liked weird shit that like you <laughs> could find out about movies and books and art at shows as much as you could about a new demo from a new band. And that seemed to be going away. I talked to more and more kids who other than liking heavy music, they were just like average Americans. Like they like were basically like McDonald's eating Walmart <coughs> shoppers, but they liked music where people screamed. And I was like, that's weird. Like that's not what I'm used to. And then meanwhile, me and Josh were both involved in film in Philly. And at the time more in the traditional, like going to Philly film society and stuff like that. And we were always treated like weirdos, like just like what are these tattooed freaks doing <laughs> at this screening? And so I think we kind of, that was more the motivation. But what's funny is as we talked Uh, it started to become part of the show that like, oh, I guess it's also interesting because we both grew up as like, you know, one of just a few brown people at shows like that you go to punk shows and like it's never I mean, a lot of people describe it as like all white. And that was never my experience growing up, but it was certainly majority white. And so it was that was always a strange experience. And I think we each had our own thing with that with me being puerto rican i i'm mostly interpreted because i don't have an accent i don't speak spanish people sort of accept me as like uh, ambiguously brown you know right. people sort of they don't they don't know what's going on there they don't make any sometimes they do actually make giant assumptions but you know it's, <laughs> so there's sort of like a an interpretive thing there with josh you know being filipino there's all kinds of unique asian <laughs> things you know uh stereotypes and you know, fucked up comments and just weird things that happen that uh, again, we didn't want to make that just what we talked about, but it certainly came up. Honestly, that started to change for us more and more recently as we realized that some of the people who cared about the show and cared about the website as a whole really felt like they wanted more of a platform. So we've actually started uh, in the last year to kind of go out of our way more to make sure that's part of the dna of who we are that we're gonna welcome people who for a variety of reasons might not feel centered in certain discourses and might not feel like uh you know that they fit into that kind of normative idea in a lot of spaces so uh and again that wasn't necessarily our goal our goal was was to be a platform but what we found was like oh well, well, that's kind of lacking and so why not make that part of who we are i again i wouldn't say it's like a mission we're not you know out here to prove a point but um on the other hand it's it's become a priority to us because we realized how important it was to our own identity you know right i mean it's
2: as you said it's your experience when you're coming into these things i mean it's part of the conversation yeah Um, and cinnamon and punk is already a cool sort of thing to mash together because i don't know like it is weird. You mentioned, like, being seen as outsiders at sort of more arty things. Like, I've, what's your experience with those coming together? Like, have you... Because I know, I know, like, uh, obviously, I know Exhumed. I know, like, um, what's his name from Exhumed that uh, has uh, the Loud Fast Philly podcast on your network? Yeah, Joseph Taurasi, yeah. Yeah, I remember he did a screening of uh, Hasu at the International House before it was, like before I was playing it the fill and everything like for five nights or whatever. And um, there was that sort of weird mix of the, the more arty people. And then like the sort of exude people coming together in this place. And um, yeah, I don't really know where I was going with that, but I just remember feeling uncomfortable in that audience a little bit. Cause, like just women in front of me that just kept saying like, Oh dear over and over again. And like putting <laughs> her hand in their head, um, her head in her hand and,
1: I think so. This has been one of the uh, guiding principles at Cinepunks. Actually, is this um, separation between I, so the ma- most basic way to put it is uh, high and low art, or you know, um, you know, highbrow high and lowbrow, or the separation between art and genre filmmaking, or however you want to put it. And and for us. Um, that's always been something we've been unappreciated of. The way I, the way I like to put it is, um, there are separations that are kind of lateral, so like different genres, you know, there some might get more respected than others, but they, they don't have a hierarchical relationship. Mm-hmm. But there is sort of a hierarchical relationship between perceived high art and perceived low art, and the, and to be fair, too, that sounds like, well, we're just attacking what's above and bringing it down but that's also not necessarily the case because there's a certain elitism to liking trash too there's a certain elitism to saying like well I just like the rawest most rough whatever (laughs) and like that wasn't what we wanted either like we wanted to um, sort of smush those worlds together and and take them seriously as what they are you know the feeling that you could get as much uh elation and insight out of a really well done horror movie as you could out of a Godard film or out of whatever. And and partly that for us comes from some of what we like, you know? Yeah. Me and Josh had a shared love of Jodorowski. You know, well what is where does that fit? You know, you go to a screening of the Holy Mountain, you're gonna get artsy types and you're gonna get, you know, honestly like punks and weirdos. Like the that he's just a director who's kind of bridge that gap in having not just um a challenging uh body of work but uh films that are both artistic but played as midnight movies you know like that's what he does or has done i don't know you could his newer films maybe not as much um (laughs) but as we sort of talked about what we cared about and what we wanted to cover that became really clear like on one hand i didn't want to be smushed into a genre and just say like, Oh, we just do horror, we just do exploitation, or we just do um, sci fi or whatever, whatever the heck it is. But we also didn't want it to, to come across like, I mean, I, 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 I'm trying to avoid saying we didn't want to come across elitist. Because sometimes when we say elitist, we just mean strong opinions. And in that sense, I am very much an elitist, like I am very much like strong opinions are good, and you should have them. And you should argue about those opinions like I'm I'm for all of these things, actually. But what I'm not for is the perception that simply because something is difficult or it's from another country or whatever, that that's good in and of itself you know or that trash cinema cinema that's made for all the wrong reasons is it also good in a lot of ways <laughs> that there's a lot of fun that can be had for something that is the grimiest most ridiculous thing you've ever seen
2: I mean I don't even really see that much of a difference in the end between a like, right. live exploitation films and somebody like Fassbender or Oshima or like they're mm-hmm. they're all fairly punk in their own ways or even Godard and Hodorowsky like I mean it's weird that what ends up being elevated in the end when I guess it's just how much or much theory the person can spew or whoever
1: the critic is that discovers these people like. I mean, I think a lot of this stuff, we we we, we too often smush politics into aesthetics, which is not to degrade politics at all because I think everything is political. Mm-hmm. But sometimes like we, we say something is elitist or it's this or it's that, and all you're really saying is I didn't like it. Like, yeah, it, uh, you know, if you don't like boring films, you don't like boring films, (laughs) but other people find something like that, a chance to think in other ways. Like people engage art differently. And again, I'm not trying to be some let's all get along. Like I, in the literal world, we should all get along. Like, film lovers should support each other regardless of your taste when it comes to arguing about that taste though which i freaking love as long as we all know that none of us are lesser people for disagreeing then i'm all for like intense arguments but at some point those arguments are limited because you just like what you like like you don't like horror movies you don't like horror movies i'm never going to play that (laughs) one horror movie that all of a sudden You know changes your mind it just seems unlikely to me that that's actually going to happen like we like different things we should argue about them the merits of this the lesser of that that's all great as long as we're all on the same team but there are certain aesthetic limitations where i'm just never going to like some things you know i'm just never i I might there might be outliers there might be that one example that i'm like oh that's really cool i like that thing but it's you know so what
2: do you see happening now i guess um, do you, th- do you like see any, I don't know, like, what do you expect to happen now? I guess with a uh, Trump president, like, how do you think horror is going to go? Like, how do you think, do you think these sort of, I don't know, I'm sort of guess. actually, do you think these this will become more divisive between like the sort of elitism and each of these ends, or do you think there's going to be more of a coming together, I guess, as we
1: all sort of fight the same battle again? (laughs) I mean, I've never been very good at this sort of uh, futurist kind of like prediction. Um, I, you know, if you would ask me, lots of people have been saying, Hey, careful. And idiot like Trump could become president for a long (laughs) time. And I was never one of those people. Like I just assumed this wasn't even a possibility on the, sort of scale of things that are possible. So, I'm not going to pretend like I I know what's going to happen, but you know, if I was going to make some sort of guesses, my feeling is is generally that there's possibilities and there's dangers. One of the dangers that is already happening is um there's a real feeling that um well, now that we're up against it, you know, now that we're in a situation where the leadership the the president is so just ridiculous like we all just need to band together and that and that can be a good thing but um i'm a little worried that there, there's a tendency for folks who are uh who are more on the centrist end to not only attack everyone to their right but also to attack everyone to their left yeah so everyone <laughs> who like is to the left of them is like some sort of crazed psychopath and yeah. that. That will bleed into art like that will become a narrative of like, I'm the only sane person. I have <laughs> crazy people on the right and crazy people on the left. And only I am that sane middle. And like that's been a problem like uh, that's been a problem for like 30 years. Y'all like the middle is not working out for you. Like, come on, like the <laughs> Sure, there will be plenty of people who actually go more extreme because they see the brutality that I think is going to happen like, uh, you know, um, uh. And there, you know, there's possibilities there. I'm not going to downplay the possibilities of um, people getting more, not only more extreme in their content, but in the way that they host art, like as traditional venues kind of go away for lack of funding, Mm -hmm. or is there going to be more DIY? Is there going to be more this? I think all that's going on. But things are also going to get more desperate. And to me, You know, I keep hearing people say like, yeah, uh, we're going to have, you know, there's going to be such a great artistic backlash. But I think what's probably more likely is a lot of people who might otherwise have had the support to make art won't be able to. Yeah, You know, just the financial reality is like, yo, I don't have health care anymore. The the job situation is going to plummet. Lots of... You know, a lot of artists work for public institutions. A lot of people who are producing something you care about, if they're in an interim state, they're probably working for a nonprofit. They're probably working for a college. They're probably working for a state agency. And all these places are going to get screwed, and they're going to lose money, and those people are going to lose their jobs. And if if those people end up as baristas or as servers somewhere, you're going to get less. You're just going to get less creative output. I, I think. Now, could that? Could there be some other factor I'm not taking into account totally? Like Again, I'm not a futurist, but <laughs> I just think that as much as there are interesting ideological possibilities, and my hope is that the the Trump era will push a lot of people even further towards being radical. That's what I want out yeah. of it. Uh, that is not some sort of idealistic like, oh, things will be better. It's like, yeah, but at, even, if, even if the best case scenario happened from my view – it will be at the cost of a lot of people are going to lose jobs and livelihood and healthcare and very likely their lives, let alone all the most extreme possibilities of going to jail for dissent or whatever, protesting in the wrong place, or who knows, you know, what's going to happen. Yeah.
2: Just being killed in North Dakota now by a vehicle apparently. Oh Jesus.
1: (laughs) So that's, that's what I'm saying. Like it's, it's hard. I don't want, I don't like being the sort of person who, is an alarmist and it's like things are actually going to get terrible but i don't it actually seems illogical to me at this point not to assume that things are going to get terrible like it just right. feels like things are <laughs> getting pretty terrible already so i don't know how much i'm supposed to think like no it it might not be that bad i mean at this point the best case scenario seems to be that this dude's too incompetent to get anything done that's like the best case scenario and that's still horrifying in a lot of ways because we rely on the government being able to at least function in certain certain aspects um but i don't actually again i don't really believe in that best case scenario you know you hear it a lot right now with of his appointees like oh they're also stupid they're also incompetent but i don't think that's actually what's going on i think those people were chosen because they're chosen to dismantle those things like that he they want those agencies to stop functioning the way they do so like you know you can point out that rick perry doesn't know jack about jack all you want that he's not there for that like yeah. he's there to actually limit that agency just like everyone else is like the education you know lady like uh yeah, that's what they want. They want that to go away so we can just have for-profit schools everywhere. That's the plan. That's the goal. <laughs> like, we keep acting like, but she's not going to be able to do it. It's like, yeah, all she's got to do is fire a bunch of people and close a lot of shit. Anyone can do that. She's going to be great. It's like, over at the what already. he wants from her,
2: she's going to kill it. Yeah, it's already been happening. <laughs> like, we already seen in Philly. Like, how many fucking public schools are there in Philly anymore? And, uh, like, I live across the street from a closed charter school because none of them fucking last in Philly either um but so what's the feeling like you're getting from uh like are you still connected in the punk scene at all I know you have like a family now and everything but like do you get that feeling of like people thinking that this is a good thing for these underground scenes that you're a part of like or that you communicate with like do you get that feeling inside those scenes or is that just like something that like all that a bunch of like yuppies are saying because they don't know what else to do no I mean I I Don't
1: interact with anyone who's over here saying like oh with Trump. It's gonna be so great like music is gonna get better Like I don't know anyone saying that Um, I think most people interact with In that sort of punk scene and and I think I interact with probably some more people who are in the hardcore scene. They're either like uh, They're either kind of like feeling very Worried and scared about it. Like, this is actually a real problem, and this guy really sucks, and this could really be bad. There's a few people who are not worried about it, but they're tend to be the folks who were already in a state of emergency before. <laughs> you know, the folks who thought things were pretty bad under the last guy. That's so, hilarious. like, they're like, oh, it's going to get worse, but it was already pretty bad. So, whatever. And then, you know, unfortunately, in hardcore, there's always a small Section of people who are fairly conservative, so there's a few people who are kind of like, I don't know Maybe it won't be too bad like you know, maybe he's not that stupid whatever and that I Well, but as far as people who are excited like oh, this is an opportunity like I don't know anyone who feels that way and that seems Irrational to me. I mean, I think If anything there is an opportunity, but the opportunity is that like more people who were able to be complacent before? will hopefully no longer be able to be complacent like that they will see oh i should be active at the very least in opposing this temporary situation a trump presidency and that will lead them to think about larger injustices and issues of systematic oppression that are already going on that they maybe don't normally think about that's sort of the ideal situation is that what's going to happen i don't know um but it's it's i get more of that feeling of like well this could be an opportunity. Um, for that, and and for me, uh, I hope, and I hope other people who are, you know, what I'm doing. Yes, the 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 podcast, well, two podcasts are the most creative output. But with Cinepunks itself, it's more about hosting, like more about creating a space for hosting new shows if people want to come on, or hosting new writing. And I think for us, it's just like changing the focus a little bit. Like, you know, it was easier under an Obama administration, which had a, enough of its own issues, to like not worry too much about ideological stuff or not worry about issues of equity and diversity or representation or however you want to think about it. It, it, it was easier to sort of put that on the back burner and not make it a priority. Right now, it feels like it should be a priority. It should be something that we're thinking about. And again, that won't change everything we do. I'm not going to go in and be like, all right, all you hetero white male writers, you're fired. Which is, it's really hard to fire people when you don't pay them. So <laughs> I think at this point, we're basically just taking all comers as we always do. But I think when it comes to uh, actively trying to find people who maybe feel like, well, I don't know if I can do this and saying, well, let's give it a try. And then we can go from there. I think that's a little bit more of it. As well as focusing on the kinds of movies. You know, I I I might have been more inclined to, to focus on something that was... Um, a little more predictable because I wanted to write about it. I think now I might be looking for, to write about something that I think is a little bit less, uh, expected something more, uh, from a voice uh, of someone who is not part of that kind of Hollywood system a little bit. Like that's just sort of my response to it.
2: How do you think you're going to go about doing that? I mean, you're talking about like films like over at like a landmark theater or are you talking about like trying to dig in and find
1: like people on Vimeo and YouTube and stuff? I think, uh, For me, it still ends up going retro in that um, I tend to be more interested if I'm finding stuff that I don't know about, uh, about finding older movies anyway. Hmm. Um, But I think I would like to, you know, one of the things when you have a a website, like, and anyone can have this. If you have a website of any kind and you're covering movies or music or whatever, something someone is trying to make money off of, people (laughs) will send you soliciting emails like you just need to cover a little bit and contact a couple people and before you know it your inbox will be bursting with PR emails and I think for me I mostly ignore those things even if it's like from a really cool new project I'm just like I don't have the time or energy to make that a priority I don't have the time or energy to say oh look like here's this indie film this director needs to you know my thing is like okay are they local enough to be on the podcast they're not all right Like, I just don't care. And that was always a decision out of convenience. I don't want to spend my time doing that. It's not something I care about. If I go to a festival and I see a cool thing and I can get in contact with that person, that'd be great. But I'm not going to go out of my way. I think now that's part of what I'm going to have to do, especially when it's smaller uh, directors, writers, producers, whatever, smaller companies, whatever, who are featuring, um, you know, People of color, LGBTQ folks, even at this point, I mean, the way things are just women directors of any kind is like (laughs) so fucking rare right now that you should like feature that. Now, am I personally going to write about that? No, I would be more inclined to look to classic stuff that we've forgotten about. You know, It, it, it there have been some of these folks making art forever so like when I might have wanted to write about Scorsese which nothing against Scorsese but that might have been a thing I wanted to write about uh, I'm going to look for something else you know like so recently I've been thinking about like uh, directors of like the LA uh, the LA Uprising or you know there's like a period of like uh, black directors in LA who were kind of like a avant-garde pushing envelope sort of thing and uh, you know I've, I've literally I started adding a bunch of them to my Watch list on Letterbox. Because I realized I didn't know any of these people, so maybe that's something I want to feature on the site. You know, little things like that is fitting my taste more. Do you have any think... examples?
2: Of, sorry, do you have any examples of that? Because I'm not sure I'm familiar with that either.
1: Yeah, hold on, let me see if I can find it.
2: Because like, immediate, what immediately comes to mind of like in that sort of vein is a uh, I don't know if you know the spook who sat by the
1: door about the. Uh... Oh well, we already feature, and I'm gonna do a lot more of that on the site. But we already uh, feature um black exploitation a lot and yeah. I and I love black exploitation. Um but LA Rebellion is a little bit different. Okay. Um hold on. I guess that was really avant
2: garde. Yeah, I guess you're right. That's more straightforward.
1: No, 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 no. It was it was they were specifically UCLA students, uh school of theater people, huh. uh a lot of people who came into filmmaking after the Watts riots, you know. Okay. So um let me see uh uh, L.A. Rebellion, creating a new black cinema, um, a bunch of exhibit stuff. There's a set of short films, all that kind of stuff. Anyways, okay. so, um, you know, I, I found a list. It's like – and and a lot of this, I, again, I think when you talk about, like, doing research about movies, it's like you've added some extra layer to pe- for people they don't want to have to deal with. But in reality, like, if you're someone who at all wants to – learn a little bit more about movies than what's coming out in theaters every year it's not that hard some nerd somewhere has made a list for you yeah, and all yeah. you got to do is watch those movies and do a, a teeny bit of reading I mean maybe it's just my personality but I read things on the internet you know if I'm not reading a book I'm not watching a movie I'll bring up articles constantly why not instead of reading another listicle about you know butts <laughs> like why not friggin uh, learn about movies learn about something that you care about and again if you hate movies i don't know why you would care about this but you know it, a lot of people tell me they love movies and then they don't know anything it's like yo man i didn't go to school for this i didn't study this i just i'm a nerd i read stuff about it you know right. i mean I, t- I guess i took a couple of classes in grad school but i didn't get a film degree or anything like that like i'm not at that level and i don't think it's that hard to learn a little bit about it and know a little bit about it you know
2: yeah um, I mean, we've been talking for about a half hour, I guess. So I, I was curious if I know like Doug jokes about your diabetes a lot. So I know I'm assuming you're not, uh, you don't, you're not opposed to talking about it. No, <laughs> um, okay. Um, so like, obviously so you're a person of color, you have diabetes and you have a new child. Like, are you feeling okay about these next few years? Like is the ACA repeal? Like, <laughs> no, I mean, you at I all? haven't
1: been feeling good since the, the dude got elected, Yeah. but I mean, um, yeah, I mean, I have a job. I, I work at a college, and I have good health care through that. My wife has health care through her job. Um, I we don't make a lot of money. I mean, I think financially we're not great, but I I don't I don't have any illusions that if everything goes as planned, and none of the crazy stuff goes off, and it's just the normal stuff of canceling, you know, Obamacare and uh, uh, the various cuts to the government and things like that. I don't know how much of that will directly affect me. You know, the college I work at is private. They don't get a lot of public funds per se, or I don't think they do. I don't actually know how much (laughs) they get, but um, I don't don't have any illusions that based upon the, you know, best case scenario that my life is going to be too horribly affected. But if any of my life situation changes, I lose my job. My wife loses her job. Our kid gets sick in a serious way there's going to be some issues so i can't imagine what it's like for someone who doesn't have the security that i have and uh, of course you know uh, it's not that secure i mean i don't have a lot of money saved up or whatever whatever but you know compared to where i was when i was like you know making like six grand a year living in a house with a bunch of people like yeah i'm way more secure (laughs) way more adult than i once was in my life so but but yeah, there, there's always going to be this underlying anxiety in a in a in a situation where you don't have a social safety net. Like, if we went through some sort of disaster, like, what would happen to my wife and my uh, you know daughter if I if I passed away? Like, would they be okay? What I mean, at this point, honestly, it, it, financially, if my wife passed away, I, 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 what would I? I mean let alone all the emotional trauma, right. and whatever, whatever, <laughs> yeah. financially, I would be done. Like I can't, I, my job is great, but it won't pay for two people to live ever. Yeah. Like that wouldn't, let alone for childcare and for everything. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I mean, I don't even know with our two jobs, how we're going to afford childcare when my wife has to go back to work. Like that's, you know, it's, just, it's not, it's hard out here as it is. Yeah. And then we're putting someone in power who it very likely will change everything. And, and I, you know, I'm, I'm very interested in politics, I'm very interested in even in policy at a certain level. And I still can't really predict what it'll be like, I don't know. And I don't think a lot of people know, because my man is not just wrong, which is how I feel about a lot of folks who agree with him or work with him he's not just wrong he's unpredictable which is a weird combination it's like it's one thing when you have an enemy but you kind of know what they're about but it's like i got a guy who i don't agree with who i think is wrong who i think actually means me ill and he's completely unpredictable i've no idea what he's gonna do at any one time like yeah. oh my god <laughs> how uh, uh. so Again, I, I don't want to be alarmist. I want to say like and therefore the world is ending. Like things have been tough for a lot of people for a long time. All that stuff. I get all that. But I do think things are gonna get worse now. As much as I can acknowledge how bad things have been in the past, it's gonna get worse. And I'm I'm worried about it. I'm yeah not even a little bit afraid to say I'm worried about it.
2: Yeah, I mean, even
1: just on a social
2: level, my girlfriend's Asian and she said she started dealing with more
1: like bullshit from people immediately. Like, <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Like the day of like the, people started just around where I live. I mean, I don't live in the most enlightened area in the world, but right. uh, you know, students that I work with had people say shit to them and you know, <laughs> things have gotten uh, tense overall, you know, and it was already not great. So,
2: yeah. well, well, I'm, actually, I'm just curious, real quick, too. Does your faith like help you at all with this? Like, that's not something I have.
1: So, is it? Yeah, I mean, I think it does. Uh, I've definitely seen it. It does for some people. I think for me, it's hard because I'm, um, uh, more on the left not just politically but but also theologically and so i think it's hard for me not to get bitter and not wanna think about that because so many people who want to see themselves as the same team i mean they actually probably don't want to see themselves as the same team cuz i'm so theoretical that they probably want to say like i don't (laughs) i don't count but in my mind i would like to think of them as the same team as me like that's how i want to view it is like we're all part of this wider christian family and even if i think they're wrong like we're all part of this christianity thing and they're just monsters like you know 80 some percent of evangelicals voted for this dude like that that doesn't that doesn't make me feel good about my faith it makes me think like what what is it about this thing that makes sense to me that empower them to make such an obviously wrong decision which is like you know uh, that shouldn't be a surprise welcome to christian history like you know <laughs> w- welcome to church history 101 is reading about all the people who think they're on the same team as you who did inhuman injustices whatever i get that but uh, it's hard because i still want to i don't want to be one of these people who um just walks away like I I still think there's something there that I care about and I don't want to be these people one of these people who's just constantly in conflict or whatever but more and more I almost I almost feel the opposite of what I was feeling for a while which is like I'm comfortable with the position I'm in and and I'm comfortable with where I'm at with it and yeah I'm not as involved as I once was in any sort of church life but that's because it's not you know maybe it's not as important to me or maybe I don't think it's necessary or I'm kind of comfortable and I, I, I'm in a place now where I almost either want to completely detach, even with my wife being a pastor, I just want to detach because I'm just so disgusted with so much of a church that could be okay with this. Or I want to do the opposite. Like I want to like inject myself back in and be like a total pain in the ass, like <laughs> just really like claim it really hard. And then because that that's this is what it, it, people are brought together because of those ideas and so what if instead of being one of these kind of postmodern, touchy-feely like we all have different ideas of what the divine might be and who knows whatever what if i like really claimed hard all the language and uh value sets of more traditional christianity but i just injected them with things i cared about like so instead of being uncomfortable with sin i was like yeah i actually really believe in sin of course the only sin is Treating bad people or treating poor people badly. That's actually the only sin. But if you are doing that sin, you should feel really bad. And I'm going (laughs) to guilt you like I was guilty about masturbating. Like I'm going to use all of the guilt and pain that people feel about sex or about. Uh, you know, just things that I don't think actually matter at all and just inject it into, like, the things that I think matter about how, like, you should all feel really bad because you have bad thoughts about homeless people. Like, you can go ahead and lust after your neighbor's wife, but you can't judge her for not having any money. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. that sort of thing, like, like become that kind of gadfly a little bit. But I, I don't know. I don't, I, as much as I am kind of a intense person in some ways, I don't really like the idea of, like, making my life's goal to be antagonistic like some part of me kind of wonders if that's healthy but on the other hand if if the world is going to continue to go the way it's going you know what what choice do i have i'm gonna to have to be antagonistic somewhere i might as well pick a place where i know what i'm doing you know is your wife your wife is like you guys agree generally right about things yeah i mean i i, I think um um there's definitely a nuance there and uh differences around specific ideas but no i i think at essence yeah like we are on the same page okay um i mean even if that means she has to be very patient with me sometimes because i can be a lot more um <laughs> angry <laughs>
2: <laughs> but so do you think she's i don't want to pry too much into her life she's not the one we're talking to but um do you so do you think do you like, feel good about what she's doing in the church given the current political climate and everything?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, her church is pretty encouraging and um, uh, yeah, there's not everyone there is on the same page per se, but I, I'm actually always impressed by their compassion and by how many people there really are pretty great and they've been really supportive to her and she's been able to do some good work there, but I think it's also, she's Dealing with the reality, which is like we'd all love to go off and just start some new thing, like just some new sexy new church that no one's ever seen before. That's doing all the thing, but like, who's going to pay for that? Like, yeah. how is that going to exist? Like, we can all, you know, what, what are we going to go start a commune? Who who pays for the commune? Right. You know what I mean? I mean, I'm not really into communes, but you know what I mean. Like, <laughs> there's actually a lot of very creative ideas in like sort of new church ideas you know uh, 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 new ways of being together new ways of worshiping and all that stuff but all that stuff got to get paid for like everything you do at some level got to get paid for so for her she really at least to begin with wanted a more traditional experience So she just went for the best thing she could do you know she's a presbyterian pastor and she found a church that was really great and and people there are great i mean no place is perfect but We've had a great experience, and so we're lucky that way. But um, but it's also for me personally, it's not a place I would choose to go if she wasn't the pastor there, but that probably has less to do with ideology or theology and more to do with just style. It's just not the sort of um, environment I'm attracted to per se. But right. the folks there have been really great. But, yeah, we could have ended up somewhere where this would be the worst-case scenario where like everyone's like – very intensely for trump and they're talking about justifying all of his awful things and whatever whatever is that something you guys would do though no i mean then we would have to leave as far as i'm concerned i mean i guess that's a discussion we have to have (laughs) but based upon the discussions we've already had yeah i mean that would not be but i don't know why they would have hired us in the first place it's not like i went into an interview and was like Oh yeah, whatever. It's, it's all fine. Like, yeah. you know, interview. When when you are interviewing to become a pastor, they interview both of you. Like, they want to know who I am. They're not trying to just hire her and be like, I'm sure he's fine. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like, they, it's a package deal. I mean, it's not a package deal in that I don't work for them and I don't, you know, put in labor there. But it is in the sense of like, you know, yeah. They this, and honestly, she's very clear about. You know who she is too so you know there's her part of her job and this is just reality part of her job as being a pastor is to love people though and you don't have a litmus test you know so if there's someone in the church that she doesn't agree with it's still her job to like care for them like that's part of being a pastor yeah. which is why i'm not a pastor so <laughs> you know like i mean again not that i don't think i should care about people but um i just don't think i could professionally be in charge of of uh of guiding a congregation that way that's just not in my personality
2: yeah this is all incredibly interesting i would love to talk about more another time i guess but i know you have to get going too too oh yeah you know, i guess i'm podcast. gonna record a
1: little bit yeah
2: um but yeah thanks for talking to me um no problem i'll uh, see you around i guess maybe at something eventually
1: <laughs> yeah 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 that'd be cool yeah all right well <laughs> <laughs> all right man take right. care you too good luck
0: again next week for more conversations with Rob and Sarah Century. If you have any suggestions or interviews you would like to perform, reach out to us on Twitter or at rob undressingunderground.com.